I want to start here. So this this week is uh, July 4th, right? Uh, Independence Day. And I just began to think about that, that Thursday. Uh, we celebrate freedom, right? And we celebrate it as a country. And I just began to think of all the things that that have gone into that through the years, right? And when you look around our world, uh, there are uh, pockets of freedom. and But one of the, the great blunders on humanity since the beginning of time is just our ability uh, to mess up that freedom, right? And to enslave each other and to and our country. We, we have our own issues with that, that even in our freedom, we were we were not free. And there were segments of people that we oppressed and just there's so much that goes into that. And so when you begin to think about freedom, you know, what is freedom and and uh, just what are we celebrating? We're, we're celebrating the sacrifices, right? Because one of the things that comes to the forefront of my mind when I think about freedom is that freedom isn't actually free, right? You've heard that before, but but it's really not. It, it's not it's not free. There were men and women uh, who have gone before us and paved the way for that freedom so that we can even have the right to do what we're doing right now. And don't get me wrong, there are places in the world where they don't have freedom and the church is thriving. So that, that is that is not what I'm saying. But I am saying that what we get to do with freedom of expression uh, is, and you know, I get it, maybe it's going away and maybe that would be good and I get all of that. But in this moment, we, we enjoy the freedoms that so many don't have, and it was it was a, a it was bought at a price, if I could say it that way. And so I'm I'm grateful for that. I had a grandfather with a Purple Heart from World War II, and every time the national anthem would play, he would cry, and it just like it just left an impression on me. And, and yet, not because of just the freedom, but because there's a great responsibility with that. Um, and so we are grateful for that. So. When you translate that, though, like we we see freedom uh, through a dim glass in our country, don't we? Because even in our freedom, there are parts of our uh, culture that aren't free. And there's a lot of things that enslave us. And so as I was thinking about how precious freedom is and just being grateful for the freedoms that we enjoy, I just had a couple thoughts on freedom before we dive into Daniel. Um, the first one was that freedom isn't free, you know, and even when we think about our own spiritual journey, right? It's John fifteen thirteen that Jesus modeled what we are to model and follow. It says, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You know, in every moment and step of friendship and life together as the church, that is the model, Right? That as we come and we gather and as we go and as we send and as we do everything God's called us to do, uh, Jesus himself said that I came to set the captive free. So Jesus' mission statement was freedom for people. Freedom is the heart of God, according to Luke chapter 4. And so as, as, as we just think about freedom and as we celebrate with barbecues and fireworks and parades, um, which are all awesome, by the way, and, uh, you know, if you can get in on the Fruhoff one, there's always something blow up, blowing up. So uh, if you know them, go for it. But we, we do that stuff. And, and yet, as we process that, God has been truly good. And I think about these are just thoughts from my heart that, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. Right. That we look around and look up. Right. That 
Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What's so interesting about that is we often uh, add things to do to our list. We, we, we want to add to do, but I hope by the end of today I'll convince you that the answer isn't to add stuff to your list. But freedom is the heart of God. But freedom is not just getting to do whatever I want to do, right? Freedom's doing what God designed me to do. And there's a shift there. There's an important shift there uh, that, that we search out, right? Scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not, not, not so that you'll be held back in fear, but so that you'll be set free, right? Paul said to the Galatian people uh, to walk in the freedom that you were given. And so, just powerful stuff surrounding this freedom. And then just the last one, you know, earthly freedom is just a shadow for what Jesus has provided for His church. That we experience uh, bringing His kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. And that we, we have the opportunity in laying down our lives for each other. For each other, like if you were to look around right now, and I know it's summer mode and vacations and all that stuff, but you know, as the body gathers here and, and literally in different pockets of Tampa right now, and all across our country, and all across our world, it just you begin to process the body of Christ and what a gift. What a gift. And, and all the stuff can go away. But it's each other. And just how freedom uh, has impacted us. Uh, freedom from Christ. Freedom in Christ. And then in our country. And so, just some powerful things. I just, I just wanted to take a minute and thank God for that together. Um, but also to pray about you know, what it looks like for us to be set free. To be set free from our past. To be set free in the present. Walking with Jesus. And then as we move into the future. What, what it looks like to truly be free. That's a prayer request. I don't have all the answers for you. <laughs> You're like, give me the keys, Pastor. Right? Uh, I hope to give you one of them by the end of today as we study in Daniel. But um, just feel grateful for our freedom today. And uh, as we think about Independence Day and we think about our country and the problems facing it, uh, I believe the church has the opportunity uh, to be the answer to that, to that problem. That we can be the brokers of God's peace to the world. And uh, I saw a t-shirt a couple weeks ago that said, the guy was wearing it, said, Hope Dealers. And I was like, no, I like that. I like that. We can, we can get on board with that. And so I just wanted to pray with you and just ask God, uh, to do that, to do that in our midst, that He would meet us and that He would uh, lead us in that freedom. But it starts with us. And uh, it starts with us going out into all the world with the gospel, right? And so uh, let's pray for that. Let's ask God to, to lead us in that way and uh, give Him our thanks for the freedoms we do enjoy. All right, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness. As we sit here in comfort, we recognize that uh, there are freedoms that we get to enjoy that we take for granted every, every week. Father, just even as we think about those that we're affiliated with through our network connections and 
pastors in Cambodia and pastors in Ethiopia and pastors in Indonesia, Father, who uh, sharpen us, sharpen me in just thinking about the things that matter and their heart for your people. And so, Father, we are grateful for our freedoms and we, we just ask that you would continue to give us the vision to look with you at a city who, in all appearances, has a lot of freedom. And yet, when you dig below the surface and into the hearts and lives of people, uh, there is so much bondage. But you said yourself, Jesus, that you came to set the captive free, to break the chains of the oppressed. And so we pray with Amos that you would let justice roll, that it would flow like a river. And Father, we recognize that that you have put your church here and you've left us here as we studied in Daniel. That we're in this world, even though we're not part of it. And that when we walk with you, uh, there is freedom. And that it is actually in our love for each other that the world will look and see and know you. And so we are so grateful for, for this country, for the freedoms we enjoy, for those who have sacrificed and gave it all. Men and women of every tribe have given up their lives so that we can enjoy this freedom. And so today we want to not take that for granted. We're grateful for that. We pray that uh, that opportunity uh, would be an open door for beautiful feet, as the Apostle Paul wrote, to bring good news. And so we just praise you. We praise you, Jesus. And we, we lift your name above every other name. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, come and help us now as we look at your word and as we uh, step into uh, the place that you've called us to, uh, to be salt and light. And uh, we ask for your help in that. And in the, in the strong name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And uh, we have been uh, talking about Daniel and looking at it. And what, what we've been asking the question is, what does it look like to be in a culture uh, that is clearly not a godly culture, uh, but to live as a godly human being within that culture. And as we consider that, you, you of course uh, recognize the extremes of that that we've seen. Uh, that people revolt against culture and we, we get our bullhorn out and we point fingers and we, and we call names and we shout people down and, and, and all of those things. But then we also see the opposite where Christians just bow. They just bow to culture and we forsake the truth. And so in... Maybe having the truth and being right, you can be wrong. And in the, tr- in the truth of loving, you can be wrong. Because we've sacrificed truth. How, what do we do when we take those two things and we look at the way of Jesus in the world? We recognize that there's a, a third option, an option of influence. It's an option that we've seen in the life of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego uh, to the highest level. Daniel received... Crazy promotion after crazy promotion because as we studied last week, the Bible says that there was an excellent spirit within him. What an awesome testimony. And so Daniel now is towards the end of his life and he has experienced that reality. 
And as we come to this prayer in Daniel chapter 9, uh, lots of things are going on. There's been a, a uh, king change. And so we went over that last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You can get it on the podcast. But uh, the, the rule and reign of Babylon has shifted. And so Nebuchadnezzar goes out of power because he passes away and his grandson takes over Belshazzar and God takes the kingdom away from him and Cyrus takes over the world, uh, at least the known world at the time, and he puts Darius in this place in Babylon. And uh, literally in Daniel chapter 9 verse 1, we're in the first year of Darius. And uh, Daniel's an older man at this point. And he's going to begin to connect some dots that in his mind are incredibly significant. And so uh, if I was if I was going to give you an outline for this, I, I think what we see here is an outline for our life, an outline in Daniel's prayer for our walk as a follower of Christ. Because what happens is it goes from the words of the prophet to the words of Daniel's prayer to the mission of the people. And as you think through those three things, I just want to encourage you to look with me at the progression that Daniel goes through. And the gospel is in the midst of this prayer. But look at the first two verses here of Daniel chapter 9. It says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. That doesn't sound like a lot's there. But as you begin to process what Daniel's been through, if you look at Daniel's life and now that he's an older man, you begin to see why he comes to this realization. So as an older man now, he's looking around at all that God has done and now there's a new king again. If you remember all the way back to the beginning of Daniel's life, right? He begins by being taken from his homeland to Babylon and re-indoctrinated in the, in the way of the empire. Just think about that. Daniel was likely a teenager. Uh, some of you have teenagers, Certainly we can maybe remember being a teenager. But I often think about it, if I took my oldest son and somebody took him away from me, took him to a different land and said, you're going to think and act and look like this now. Just what a crazy, you know, it's like the movie Taken, right? (laughs) You're You're like, you know, you just, the feelings that go with that. And that was Daniel's beginning. That's where we met Daniel, that he's taken from his family. He's taken from his homeland. He's taken and made to be somebody else and indoctrinated in a different culture. And so from there, he begins to live his life uh, literally with God. And the Bible repeatedly says that he has this excellent spirit within him. And so he's living in Babylon as a follower of God, as a follower of the way, as somebody who is committed to the Word of God. And he has to figure out how to do that. And we saw last week that even in commands from the king to do things a certain way, and we see this repeatedly in his life as he goes, he continues to do the things that God's called him to do, right? So he's told to pray to the king. He goes and he prays to God anyway. 
His friends are told to bow to the king. They don't bow. And we see this over and over and over again. And yet in the midst of that testing and trying and difficulty, God continues to show up. God continues to use him and then continues to propel him even farther in that culture. And so uh, Daniel, as he comes into this first year of the reign of Darius, Daniel does what he knows to do in a time when he is uncertain what to do. Have you ever been in that place where you don't know what to do with your business, with your kids, with your marriage, with your, you fill in the blank. You know, there's a few things that level the playing field for all of us who are human beings, right? That there's just a lot of moments where you and I, we don't know what to do. And Daniel, even as an older man, having seen God do all of these things that he's seen him do, returns to the thing that he knows to do in a time when he doesn't know what to do. Because every time a regime changes, every time a kingdom is turned over, everybody gets reindoctrinated in the ways of that king. And so Daniel's going to go through this for what feels like the millionth time. And what he does is return to the basics, right? He returns to the only thing that he knows to do in a time when he's uncertain to do. So in the first year of this king's reign, this time of uncertainty, he doesn't get ahead of God with his skill. You know what we would do in the first, in uh, the 21st century United States of America? <laughs> this is not how I, that's not how I'm bent, but it's what I've learned to do, right? Is we would say, okay, what's the problem? We'd get our computer out and we'd get our Excel spreadsheet out and we'd put problem. We'd write the problem. And then we would write our pros and cons. And we'd start to make a list of everything. So, well, this king's going to bring going to bring these qualities to my life. And these are these are pros, cons. He hates me. <laughs> Man. And we, we, would, we would begin to formulate a plan, wouldn't we? Think about everything. Every time that something's gone wrong in your life, what is your gut reaction? For many of us in this culture, our gut reaction is to snap into action and put a plan in place. I'm just being honest with you. Daniel, if anybody had the pedigree for that to take place, for him to have something go really wrong and first reaction to be put a plan in place, by this point in Daniel's life, doesn't he have a great resume? I mean, terrorists rip him away from his home, take him to a different country as a teenager, and he's like, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do, but if you'll trust me, because I'm trusting God, and give me those veggies, put me on that Daniel diet, um, I'm going to look better than the other guys. And for whatever, for some God-forsaken reason, they're like, okay, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Daniel was a good leader. But he was a good leader as he was under the leading of God in his life. And so, you know, there are multiple times through that this happens where Daniel's challenged and he relies on the Lord. And so as we come to this place, it's the same thing. But isn't it interesting here that Daniel's going to take his cues from a very specific place, right? What is it that he turns to in this time of uncertainty? 
What's awesome about this text is the first thing it says that this regime change happens and what is Daniel doing? Where do we find Daniel when this uncertain time comes? We find him in the Word, don't we? What does it say? It says, it says in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures. He's reading the words of Jeremiah who, by the way, was a contemporary of his, but he knew that Jeremiah was a trustworthy prophet. And he begins to read through what Jeremiah is talking about because it was Jeremiah who said that what happened to Daniel was going to happen. It was Jeremiah who said that they were going to be taken away and put in exile and that it would be a certain amount of time. And Daniel's here reading the words that God gave Jeremiah and he says this, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So Daniel gleaned from God's word what it was to take his next step of faith. So wherever you are right now, whatever uncertainty lies in front of you, it could be something as simple as putting your kid in school for the first time. Come on, somebody. I've got to do that with my little girl this fall. Pray for your, pray for your pastor. <laughs> It was easy with the boys. Get out of here! <laughs> with that little girl, it's different. It's different. And that's such a minor example, right? You begin to move into your life about the things that you are uncertain about. We need something better than what we have inside of us, don't we? We need something better than our plans. We need something better than our abilities to truly follow into the calling that God's placed on our life. You see, because everything is God's, right? We're managers of everything that's God's. That's what makes generosity easy. It's because it's all God's, none of it's mine. And He allows us to use most of it to raise our families or to invest in the lives of others. And yet He says He loves a cheerful giver beautiful thing but Daniel goes back to the Bible here doesn't he and he reads the words of Jeremiah and he begins to connect some dots he begins to connect some dots that he's an old man now and if they were only going to be in exile for 70 years they've got to be coming close to the end of that and so Daniel's uh, vision for what God is going to do begins to stir in his heart. But look at verse 3. It says he understood from the Scriptures, and then look what he does in verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel goes and does what he knows he's supposed to do in a time that he's uncertain what to do. He turns to the Scriptures. And then his response to what he's reading in the Scriptures is to do what? Pray. Pray. The two most natural responses in every Christian's life should be the Word and prayer. The Word and prayer. That's why every January we do 21 days of prayer because we want to do what? Pray first. Right? We want to build that habit so that Every situation you walk into, your gut reaction is the Word of God and prayer. That it, that it would just so encapsulate everything that we do, that everything would be informed from God. 
right? So uh, the, the next thing we see here is that Daniel's response to the word from God is to turn to God. Does that make sense? So as he's hearing from God, okay, like, God, you might, you might be moving again. You might be willing to keep your promise to your people that this will only last 70 years. And Daniel begins to get excited, begins to feel that God might be moving. And his response to that word from God was not to jump on his computer, <laughs> his stone tablets or whatever they used, <laughs> and make a plan, was it? And he could have. He was the guy that could have. He had led thousands and thousands of people. Kings who had no reason to trust his ability to lead, trusted his ability to lead because Daniel had an excellent spirit within him. He wasn't shaken by the culture, but he stepped into it and he influenced it with God. Because with God, there's always hope. You might sit here today and you might just on the on the outside, you might have this exterior that God's doing awesome stuff and you're loving it. But on the inside, maybe you aren't free. Maybe you aren't free. And you're you're hearing these words from God, but you're struggling to turn to God. And, and we have all been there. And that's real life. But I want to encourage you that with God, there's always hope. There's always hope to go another day. To try again with Jesus. Think about some of the things that Scripture says about this God we serve. Just a couple. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Faithful One. He's the Alpha and Omega. Not only does He begin your faith by giving it to you, He'll carry you and He'll end it because He's God. He always gets the first word and the last word. He's all-knowing. Don't you love this that it says that he's resting on his throne? Hebrews actually encourages you not to add to your list, but to enter into his rest. The way you get things done is by kicking your feet up, Jesus says. Why can he say that? Because his enemies are his footstool. And if the enemy is his footstool and you are clothed with Christ, as the New Testament tells us, greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. But how do I access that? I access that by hearing from God. It's simple, but it's difficult. This daily discipline is so difficult sometimes, but couldn't be more important. And I think it's difficult because we make it a thing that we're supposed to do instead of a relationship that we love to have. So Daniel just knows God and he chooses to do what? To seek God. It's an active word, right? That in, in this moment of not knowing but maybe getting excited that God might be moving on his behalf, he begins to seek him. How does he seek him? He, he does prayer, he does petition, and then there's this posture that we can learn from, right? This just amazing thing. He turns to him in prayer, and he hears this, he remembers and reads this word from God, and he turns to God in prayer, and he begins to petition God. 
He begins to tell God, listen, God, God knows what you need. He knows what you want. The scripture's full of that. And we're, we'll, someday we'll take a time and go through all of that on prayer because it's, it's amazing. It's a relationship. It's kind of like when you get in a fight with your spouse. It's like, do you need them to remind you all the things that you've done that are stupid? I didn't hear any yeses. I'm surprised by that. You're like, no, I'm very aware of how dumb I am. <laughs> but why do we do that? Because we just want everybody to be clear, right? This is why I'm angry at you. And then you take your turn and you make sure they know why you're angry. But what do we do? Like we, we work through that because at the end of it, we know there's clarity. And so as, as Daniel comes, he begins to seek God and begins to petition God. And we're going to read that petition here in a second. But all through Scripture, we'll read that in a minute because I want you to see it. But all through Scripture, we hear these words. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Ask and it will be given. Jesus said, when I knock, I want to come in and dine with you. But you, you have to turn the doorknob. You have to open your heart. So we seek what does it mean to seek? I'm not talking about looking for your keys seeking. I'm talking about I found a field, the New Testament says, and there's treasure in it, and nobody knows it but me. And I begin to seek that land. I begin to look for a way to buy that land, knowing that the investment I make in this now pays off hundredfold. I begin to sell my property. I begin to sell everything so I can go get that. And so for, for many of us, it's, it's releasing some of the things that we're holding tightly so we can seek that. It's power there. So Daniel prays. Look at verse 4. Let's just read his prayer down through verse 16. Because as you begin to see this now, as Daniel begins to pray, you're going to begin to see that prayer is going to align Daniel's heart with God's. And that's for you and I too, that prayer is all about aligning our heart with God's heart. Because you know what he says in the New Testament? He says, when you ask in faith, you can ask anything and I'll give it to you. Why? That's such an outlandish statement, right? That God's like, just giving you a free pass, like ask me for anything, Okay. But then he doesn't do it, and you're like, why? You said I could ask anything. What do you say? Anything in faith, right? Because faith, you know, that, that aligns your heart with him. So look, look how it happens for Daniel. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God. He's got a right view of God. Who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's what's supposed to happen, Right? But then in verse 5, he tells what actually happened. He's beginning to align his heart with God's. You're great. You're awesome. You keep your covenant. But we don't, verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. He's confessing for people that aren't even alive anymore. Wow. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. 
sin bring shame? Think about that in your own life. Does not sin bring shame? When the Bible says men love darkness rather than light, it's not just because we just want to we just want to revel in our sin, right? Because there's shame there. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to come and set the captive free, a lot of it is from your shame. The freedom in Christ, the freedom in the body of Christ to take the mask off and be real. This is why we want you in growth track. This is why we want you in city groups when they launch in the fall. Because God moves in those places when you're amongst God's people. You see, you get forgiveness when you confess your sin to God. But James tells us you get healing when you confess it to somebody else. So there's freedom in the confession and freedom that God gives you eternally. But when you, if you want it here, it's with other people. That's why marriage is such a refining fire. That's why friendship is so important. That's why city groups are actually important. And we continue to want to push into that and get better at it. Because God lays out in His Word that that's exactly how you get to where He wants you. In those sharpening relationships. So Daniel keeps going. Lord, you're righteous. We're covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. Do you think God already knew that? Yes, he did. Daniel's praying this because it's, it's going to align his heart with God's heart by the end of this prayer. Daniel's recognizing that God's law held up in front of him, like Paul says, is a mirror that we need. That we need. But then verse 9 is the gospel, isn't it? The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against Him. That's a good spot to say amen. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws He gave us through His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us. You told us this was going to happen. We chose anyway, and it, and it came. Just like you said it would, because you're faithful even when we're not. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. And here's the key. Yet, we have not sought the favor of our Lord, our God, by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. You see, freedom isn't free, but freedom has been paid for and freedom has been provided but you must step through that door of freedom. You must hear from God and then turn to God. Whether it's for the first time, if you've never given your life to Christ, or whether it's for, like me, the one bajillionth time, <laughs> every day, every Sunday, every week, <laughs> we must give attention to the truth and turn toward God. Every day, every day. The Lord didn't hesitate to bring disaster on us. Why? That's actually the grace of God, isn't it? 
that when we, if just left to our plans and to our comfort, that we would just we would just ride off into the sunset and ride off into hell and wonder what in the world happened. But God in His grace confronts us with disaster. <laughs> You've heard me say before, God's office is at the end of your rope, so you probably want to get to the end of that as fast as possible. Or disaster keeps coming. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything He does, yet we have not obeyed Him. It's going to get more positive in a second, I promise. <laughs> but we have to know the truth, don't we? We have to know the truth. But verse 15, Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt. So he gets the right perspective on the people. And now he can move into the right perspective of God. Now, Lord our God, you brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with your righteous acts, turn away from your anger. You see, he says, God, you are righteous. And you've poured out all this disaster on us because we deserved it, but we are paying attention now. (laughs) And now we want to call on you to be true to your character that in your righteous judgment there is righteous love. And he begins to call for that. In keeping with your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill, our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. What's going on here? Prayer is about aligning your heart with God's heart because Daniel begins to say, this is who we are. This is who I am. And I deserve everything that you're doing in my life. But he turns the corner then and begins to, begins to recognize that even in the disaster, even in all the things that have gone wrong, there's still this opportunity, there's still this hope in God to turn things around. When things look at their worst, that God can bring you His best. And He did that in Jesus. Amen? And what does that look like? It's difficult, but it looks like continuing to press in to the time with God because He remains more committed to His kingdom than we are to His kingdom. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so He says, I turned to God and I prayed and I petitioned and my posture was one of brokenness. You know, it's the same thing in the New Testament, right? Jesus Himself said in John 15, He said, Abide in Me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. We've been able to turn that into a 21st century concept and say fruit means X amount of people, X amount of dollars, X amount of this, X amount of that. But what is the fruit Jesus is talking about? It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? You're wondering, what are those things again? I wrote them down for you. Here it is. Love, joy. Just let them wash over you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control nine things I'm really bad at <laughs> that was a little loud but just doesn't that sound awesome <laughs> doesn't that sound awesome I think it sounds awesome and what does Jesus say that they're fruits of the spirit 
and that they come from abiding in Him. They don't come from you saying, oh my gosh, I'm not loving. Let me give you six ways that I'm going to become more loving this week. It's not the way it works. You will become loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled if you are abiding in Jesus because He's the vine and we're the branches. And so this morning when I didn't do that awesome with my kids, this is confession. I expect healing from you. James chapter 5. Why? I wasn't abiding in Jesus. I was more concerned with what I was annoyed with. Listen, you feel my pain. I know you do. <laughs> you guys are like, just being real. I told you I didn't have a fancy outline for you today. But God is speaking through His Word, you know. He's speaking in His Word. And this is a timely word for us. Right? As we look to the fall and we just we think about all that God's doing and this is what we want the world to see, our love for each other. We want the world to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So if the list doesn't sound like me, I don't need to do more stuff for Jesus. I need to spend more time with Jesus, right? That's the answer. It's not the fruit of Mitch's effort. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is such a massive thing. Such a massive thing. And so we're going to take communion together again today. Together. It's a gift of God and His grace to the body of Christ. And just as you begin to think through, like, what's the pattern of my life right now? Is there freedom in the way that I live my life? This is what we come to the table with because at the end of the thing here, at the end of the prayer in verse 17, uh, Daniel has now come to the right perspective of who, who he is, who the, who the people of God are, and who God is. Listen to what he says. He says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord. This is the right perspective, right? God, bring your kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that what? Bears your name. Who's the city of God in Tampa right now? We are. Right? Because the temple moved from a facility to your body. And our body. So the imagery here in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing what was going to come that we are living in right now. That we, together, Peter says, are the temple of God. Give eyes, give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. That's the gospel. So you're going you're gonna to come and petition the Lord this week, not because you're righteous, but because He's merciful. That there's actually grace in that for you. For your sake, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city, listen to this, don't miss this, your city and your people bear your name. You want to know why this is so important to abide in Christ and bear the fruit of the Spirit out of that relationship with Christ? Because we are the hope of the world. And what we want doesn't matter nearly as much as what they need. 
What we want doesn't matter as much as what they need.